Well, we're in a series uh, in Daniel that we started two weeks ago. I started for a week, and through Christmas, we're going to stay in the series on Daniel. This has been a year of really taking a look at what we're to devoted to. Uh, what is it that, we're, that we are devoted to in our life? We've looked at a lot of different things, money, um, relationships, hobbies, God, eternity. We've looked at a bunch of those things. And I, I really felt like to end the year, I wanted to end in a book, and we're going to work through the book and some of the, the verses in this book, Daniel, which is an incredible book. It's a prophetic book in the Old Testament. The first six chapters of his historical nature, and the second six chapters of our more of a prophetic nature, and but really kind of looking at the end, uh, the end of time, the end of days, whatever you want to call it. We're going to take a look at that, and so if you have your Bible, turn to Daniel as we go there. Daniel would have been about 16 years old when he went into uh, Babylon. For those who don't know, Israel went into captivity for 70 years. Uh, and, and Babylon had come and conquered them, taken the, the top, about one-third, most scholars would say, of the, the influencers, the most gifted, educated, the, the people who really kind of led the culture in Israel. They moved them to Babylon. Most people don't realize about two-thirds of the Israelis stayed in Israel. So they were still there. Anywhere between a half and two-thirds would have been still in Israel, but the rest would have been taken out. And they did that because they knew if they took the influencers and leaders out of a culture, if they took them out, the culture would become stagnant and even just obey whoever would lead them. And they could put few... Uh, leaders in Israel from Babylon that would lead them, and they would just follow them because none of them had really become leaders. They were just followers. And, and then they could literally get those who are educated and the, and the influencers, they could then um, kind of retrain them, reprogram. They would go through a deconstruction, and then they would reconstruct them to, to think the way they wanted them to think. And that's what happened with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was their Babylonian names, and Daniel was his Israeli name. I don't know why that is in the Scriptures the way it is, but it is that way, and that's how we know them. So that's the name that I'm going to use. Um, this would be, uh, Babylon would be around modern-day Iraq is about where it would be. And Daniel would be there from about 16 to about 90 years old that he would have been in this area of, in place. When they were brought into Babylon, it was a culture where they did what they thought was right in their own eyes. So it's a culture that they would do what they thought was right in their eyes. But Daniel had come from a culture that God had led them and said, if you want to be blessed, if you want to walk in blessing, then you follow these commands, and God says, I will literally direct you in a culture of all kinds of thinkings, all kinds of beliefs, all kinds of opinions. I will give you those things that will lead you and prosper in the thing that I've created. That is still true today. That is still true today. How many know we're living in a culture that is like it, it's trying to pull you away from God, trying to break that up? And, and if you haven't listened to the In the Beginning series we did during the summer, you should, because scientifically you can look at it and see the energy that the physicists and, uh, and biologists, the energy at that very foundational level, they can't explain where it came from. They don't know what it is. 
we know it's the Word of God. We know it's Jesus, the Word, Jesus. They are the same, so it's the same thing, synonymous with one another. So when, when, the, when Jesus is the answer to everything, and you think that's funny because that's what it was, Jesus, right? He really is. He really is the power to everything. He's the thing that holds everything together. That's why when people come back to Christ, when they genuinely come back to Christ, because how many know not every marriage in the church is healthy? Because not every marriage is literally going after Christ. There are people in the church, this may shock you, in some churches, not in here, there are people in churches where they're not actually pursuing God, they're just going to church. They're not actually really making God the center of their life. God's in their life. They just do this church thing because he's part of it, but he's not the compelling part of their life. And I want to talk about that because culture does something very sneakily. Say that with me, sneakily, right? How many have kids that do things sneakily? You know what I'm talking about? And, and Satan is, is really sneakily in how he does that, and I want to talk about it. But we're going to start in Daniel chapter 3. So go to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to talk about the two most, the most known or best known uh, stories in uh, Daniel, and even in the Bible, some of the best ones. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high. 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, and set up on the a plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned all of his advisors there, and you'll see him and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of his image he had set up. So all the advisors and officials assembled for a dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you're commanded to do, O peoples, nations, men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the scyther, lyre, uh, lair, uh, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of the gold, uh, image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now notice what he says. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into the blazing fire. So you better do it or you're going to die. Satan's whole purpose is to get you to worship him or someone other than God. And if you don't do it, you're going to die. Satan uses fear to get us to worship what he wants you to worship. Now, I know there are many people who question, well, who, Pastor, who are you to tell me what worship is? Well, uh, I'm Pastor James. I don't know what I am. I don't know how to answer your question. All I know is worship is more than just a song, for sure, but the song is the fruit of our worship. So there are people, there are people, because what has happened is the song has become, a lot of worship has become this very mellow, just mediocre, just think and meditate. That's meditation. Medi I'm just, just saying, well, everyone, that's meditation. Worship is something that comes out of your mouth, and we see it throughout the Psalms that they begin to shout, clap, 
and sing before the Lord. Worship was something that comes out of me unto the Lord, and when you do it together, it's powerful when you do it, because even when you pray together, one sends a thousand to flight, two, ten thousand to flight. When we worship, we create this, and, and not to mention in Revelation, it says that there are billions of people that will be at the throne of God, worshiping Him. It will be so loud that they will hear the sound on earth. It will sound like thunder and lightning and earthquakes at the sound of the worship in the heavens because of people worshiping. I don't think that's kitty cat worship. <laughs> Meow. Right? I think that's like bulldog worship. Roof, roof. Right? How many know what I'm talking about? Any bulldog worshipers in here, right? I'm a kitty cat worshiper. Well, raise up your voice. You're going to be asked to worship something that goes completely against the essence of your belief. I believe this uh, wholeheartedly, that you're going, in the culture we're living in, you're going to be asked to worship something that goes completely against your beliefs. You know, for years in our culture, it has been a very God-central in culture. But for years in our culture, something has taken place. They said, you need to be more open to other beliefs. You need to be more open to other beliefs. And what's happened is, is first thing we wanted you to do is open up to other beliefs, and then other beliefs come in. Now you need to stop believing the way you believe. We need to be more tolerant, and then once there's tolerant, it becomes not tolerant to, any, to the beliefs that are there. You need to be more tolerant. Some people believe, and, and especially in evolution, now they become intolerant and said that evolution is the only way. Well, you can't scientifically prove that at all. There is no proof to that. It is just as it takes more faith to believe that than it does that God created everything. And that's what's happened in our culture. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But before I do, the motivation for worship of people was not fear. It was, it was fear, not love. The motivation for worship of the people at this time was fear, not love. You will do this or you will go into the fiery furnace. And for many years, religion does that. It says, you better worship God or you're going to go to... What is hell? Any more than a fiery furnace? How many, how many were raised and you heard, you better worship God or you're going to go to the fiery furnace? We tried to use fear to, to get people, to, you better marry that woman or you're going to be in big trouble, right? What, what kind of relationship is that going to be like? Like, you know, my wife is Heather. If I said the only reason I married her is I'm afraid her dad was going to shoot me. How many would say, you might have a dysfunctional relationship, <laughs> right? No, the reason I married her is because I love her. God doesn't want you to be in relationship with him because of hell. God wants you to be in relationship with him because he's amazing. See, if you're trying to, if the only reason you're serving God is to get away from something, well, I wanted to get free from my addiction, I wanted to get free from the trouble I was in, if the only reason you're serving God is to get away from something, you will only have religion. But if you discover who God is, you will run into relationship with Him and your worship will be different. It will be different. It will be life-changing. It will be powerful. 
I mean, think, think about this. There will be a time where you will be forced to worship something you don't believe in and will have to choose what you will do. If you're running away from something and your relationship with God or your connection to God has been motivated by fear, fear will get you to leave Him. But if it is motivated by who He is, I just love God, and you're going to see this in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're going to see that it wasn't fear that motivated their attention, it was just who He was. I'm making a decision based on who He is, not fear. See, the reason I'm spending a little time on this is because there's some of you in this room, the only reason you're here is because you just don't want to go to hell. You want fire insurance. Because you needed to get free from an addiction, and, and so I only went to God. It's something more than that. And this, and this is a powerful thing. If, if I were to say uh, to you, how many Viking fans are in here, Minnesota Viking fans? The only reason I'm asking this is because we're in Minnesota. Right, okay, you're Viking fans, and you're not ashamed. I mean, in the first service, three people raised their hand, and I'm like, are you serious? If only three of you raise your hand, and when they're winning, I mean, what is it like when they're losing? How many, how many are Minnesota Viking fans? Raise your hand. Be, be, be proud, okay. Okay, you can put your hand up. Okay, if, if I, I asked the Viking fan who was in our first service, actually, in, in Richfield, I asked that person one time, he says, what would it take to get you to stop cheering for the Vikings? So what would it take to get you to stop being a fan of the Vikings completely? You just stopped. And he goes, you couldn't do anything. And I said, aha, I bet you I could. He said, no, you couldn't. If I took out my nine millimeter and stuck it at the head of your children, I'm pretty sure you'd stop cheering for the Vikings. <laughs> and, and as a joke, he said, depends on the day as a joke. Now, some of you thinking, Pastor, there you go again. You just went way overboard. <laughs> Can I tell you something? That is happening in the world today. If you think I just went overboard, that's happening today all over the world where terrorists are going up to family members and saying, stop serving your God, deny your God, or we're going to shoot your kids. So you've been living in your cushy little comforter life in America, but all over the world, Christians are having to make the decision all the time, I'm going to serve the Lord no matter what, even if you kill my family, to the point where they say, "What? we're going to kill one, we'll kill both if you don't pick one. So they pick one, and they kill the one they didn't pick, so the one they pick knows that the parents picked them. So the question is, would we really die for this relationship? Not if it's motivated by fear. Because if we're, if we're motivated to serve God by fear of the bad that will happen to me if I don't, and that's the only reason, the only reason I do what God says is because I, I know that this, uh, just I don't want the bad that I get. If it's motivated by fear, it will be fear that gets us to deny him. It'll be fear that gets us to leave. Some of us are so motivated to serve a football. We're more passionate about a football team than we are about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That literally there are things in our life we're more passionate about than God. We worship more than God. And worship means nothing less different than ascribed worth. 
We put more worth in this. We'll complain more about the pastor going over five minutes in the sermon and then go out in the lobby and talk about football the whole time, then go to the football game. After it goes into overtime, we'll, we'll talk about football all the way home, and then we'll listen to it the whole week long on the radio and say, God's number one. I got God at the top. I wonder if God's sitting there going, am I really? Or maybe it's, it's someone on the radio that you really like and you just worship everything they say and you listen to everything you say, you read about everything they say, or maybe it's a hobby, or maybe, but, but you were created to worship, so you are worshiping something. The question is, and, and Daniel really calls it, is what is it I'm worshiping? Would I really die? Yeah, I would die. Oh, pastor, I would die. You just put a gun to my head right now, I'd die. Well, first of all, I'm not going to do that. Secondly, if you would die for this gospel, why aren't we even telling people about it? Why aren't we praying for sick people that are around? Why am I so afraid that I might lose my job if I share with it? If I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job because I shared the gospel with a coworker, why would I ever think in a million years I would stand for it and die? Can we just be real? Let's just be real where we're at. Like, and what would cause us to get to that point? Like, what would cause Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to make the response? We're going to read them all. What would bring them to that point? What experience was so powerful in their life that it would cause them to say, there is no way I'm going to live for this world. I'm going to die if I have to, but I'm not going to live for this world. You know, the scripture says, if you try to keep your life, you will lose it, but if you give up your life, you will attain it. Then in Daniel chapter 6, verse 5, it says, finally these men said, and King Darius had just taken over Babylon. There were four kings that they served, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abigail, at least Daniel we know for sure. And uh, what happened was Babylon was conquered by the Medes and the Persians, and they came in, and King Darius had become king, and King Darius loved Daniel, and his advisors knew King Darius loved uh, Daniel. In fact, Daniel would tell them something different than the advisor, and Daniel made them look bad, and Daniel ended up being right. So I mean, it was a matter of time, and those advisors wanted to do away with Daniel. So they come up with this great scheme, and that's, that's what we read here. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis of charges against this man, Daniel, unless it is something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went in as a group to the king, said, oh, King Darius, live forever. Um, and then the royal administrators and all of them have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians." which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put it into put the decree in place. And 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 he really really liked it. So one place it's saying you need to worship this idol and 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 Shadrach Meshach he said you must worship this golden image. You must worship this golden image. And then the next one says and you can't worship your god. That's what it does in culture. 
And it's what it's doing in our culture right now. It's saying you must worship this and you need to stop worshiping God. He doesn't exist. He's not real. You need to open your mind to this. You need, and, and when we're motivated by fear, fear starts making our decisions. And we're like, I might die if I don't worship this. I might never get a job if I don't do this. I may never have enough money. I may run out of food if I don't do this. I know it's not what I believe, but if we want to survive, survival of the fittest, I got to do this thing. And then once you make that decision, you come over here and you need to stop serving God. You, by the way, keep this in mind. There's one common theme throughout the Bible. This is what it is. God created us for this so that he would be our God and we would be his people. Isn't that simple? You know, what is a God? He is the one who takes responsibility for us. And we worship him because he does. He's my provider. He's my peace. He is my righteousness. He's my healer. He is my hope. He's the one who loves me. He gives me identity. He gives me everything because he's my God and I'm his people. So I worship him, right? What they're saying is you need to worship this along with him. And then the next story he's saying you need to stop worshiping that God, Completely anti-God, and it's happening in our culture all the time. You say, well, how do I know that? How many are afraid to even speak because you're afraid of what your neighbors may think about you? But I'll die for the, for, for the gospel. Well, I'm not going to pray for that sick person. Well, why not? Because he may not get healed, but I'll die for that. I'll die for this good news, but I'm never going to tell anybody it. There is a battle going on over our worship. Uh, it's been going on for years from the Garden of Eden to the Garden of Gethsemane all the way into Revelation. The garden, there has been this battle, and God created you to worship. So think about how many things in this world is trying to get you to worship it, trying to get your attention, your money, your words, your love, your praise, your ever. Think of how many things in this world wants you to put all of your energy and effort into it. And it's not that it's bad. It's not that it's bad. It's that, that it becomes a God. It becomes a living thing in our life. It's not that sports are bad, but it becomes this living thing in our life, and we begin to worship it as something. It's not a blessing to us. It, it becomes a thing that we worship, and we lift up. And there are people that are struggling with things in their life, and they don't understand why. It's because we're worshiping things that do not have the power to bring our lives together. Only Jesus, the Word, brings all things together. When He's not in the first place, there is no ability to bring that together in our life. So if your marriage is falling apart, it isn't, well, we're going to church. Well, that doesn't really make a difference if Jesus isn't the, the center of that relationship. There's someone I know many years ago told me a story about how he had gotten caught in a pornography and he was in it pretty bad and then had an affair because of all of that and... <clears throat> And he said, I was begging to God the whole time, set me free, set me free, set me free, set me free. And, and then I had the affair, and my whole life could have fallen apart. And fallen apart. Fortunately, his wife stayed with him, and, they, and now they're great and wonderful, so you know the end of the story. But, but he said the Lord had spoke to him, and he said, the problem is, is, is look at what you worship in your life. 
And he looked at his playlist, and his playlist was full of songs that worshipped him and his desires. He looked at what he was reading, and it was all about worshiping him and what he could be. And it was all of those self-human, and everything in his life that he was giving his time and energy and effort and love and attention to, none of it went to God. None of it was focused on God. It was all focused on himself being the source, the power, and he didn't have the ability to do that. If you don't think, if you think right now you have the ability to, to lift yourself up, I'd love for you to stand up and lift yourself off the ground for five minutes. No, no you can't use a chair. You can't do anything to lift yourself. Just in the midair, lift your, you can't do it because you need something you can grab onto. Does that make sense? There's only one who can put you together. Only one who can bring you together. Look at, the because the, the Antichrist is working this. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he himself he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. What, God is, what Satan is trying to do in your life right now is to get you to set other men up over God. And there are people in our life that we worship, and you're in the church. Some of you say, well, I don't have any, but you listen to preachers as though they were God. You haven't heard from God in years because you just listened to someone tell you what they think God is saying. How, you, you know, you can't actually follow Christ unless you have ears to hear him. That's what a follower of Christ is. He who follows has to hear from the Lord. I'm telling you, there's celebrity. Oh, I love celebrity preachers. Friend, that's the enemy coming in to try to deceive you. Some of you, it's athletes. Some of it's the Kardashians. Oh, dear Lord. There's a number, I don't even know how that happened. But there, there, are other, there, you, there are people that the enemy is trying to put into your life that become a voice and an influencer in your life. And you listen, back in the day, and this will take you back a little bit, I remember a number of Christians, they listened to and read more from Rush Limbaugh than they ever did in the Bible. Look at Revelation 13. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He, and you know about deception is, if you knew you were deceived, you would change the way you think. You don't know you're deceived unless God reveals a truth to you. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that he could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be what? Killed. Fear. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and a slave, to receive a mark on his right hand and on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless they had mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of the name, or, or, or the number of his name. Now, now, let me make something very clear. For all those who thought when you got the vaccine, you were getting the mark of the beast, wrong. The mark of the beast is for buying and selling. Number one. Number two, if you're in the rapture, you'll never see it. So if you think it was the mark of the beast, the rapture happened and you're all here. 
okay? We need to understand the Word of God. The Word is that it, it happens after we're gone that the mark comes. So here's the first thing. Satan is motivated to exalt man above God. Satan wants you to worship anything other than God. He wants you to worship your business, science, sports, music, hobbies, and your family. Anything that he can make you think is so important. And there are people who worship their family and think that's more important than the time I spend. God. No, it's not. It isn't. You are worshiping. There is nothing more important than God himself. It says, and you look at Daniel chapter 3, 16 to 18. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter, which I love. He's king. And they say, King Nebuchadnezzar, in this matter, we don't need to defend ourselves. In this matter, we don't need to defend ourselves. You can say what you want. But in this matter, you see, see, he was king, and God had told them to respect the authority. But in this matter, you overstepped your authority. Because you told us to worship you as though you were God, and you ain't God. You want to be worshipped over the one who gave you the authority. We aren't, you, you can't speak in this matter. Does this make sense? Then he says this, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hands. So basically he said, this is what he said. Our God can rescue us. So you could throw us in the furnace and he can save us. Like you think we're going to die just because we're human? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Our God can come in and do that. Right? But this is what I love because they didn't serve God out of fear. They served God out of their love for him. It said... But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Because we don't worship God out of fear. We worship out of knowing who he is. So I'm going to worship him if he saves us, and I'm going to worship him if we die. What is it in them that is so real that they would say, I would give my life for this. What is it in the man that would go to an island off the coast of India? He would go and lay down his life knowing that if he goes, he's more than likely going to die trying to bring the gospel to a cannibal people of India. The world says the man is nutcase, crazy, out of his mind. Why would you do that? You didn't even get to preach the gospel. But God told him to go even though he would more than likely die. What would cause someone to willingly go and die? What would cause an apostle Paul to know he's going to Rome and be in prison even though he's innocent when he could have been free? Say, no, I'll stay in prison so I can speak to Caesar. What is it? There was something so powerful that they experienced of that God that they said, this life is, I'm willing to give this life for that God. I'm willing to lay it down for that God. When Paul said to live, to die is gain, but to live for God. I, I, I experience God in such a powerful way. I can do nothing less than just say, God, however you want my life to play out, it's yours. Because until you're ready to die, you will never live. We're living in a culture that wants to bubble wrap our kids. 
and we're literally stunting their growth because we, well, I don't want them to die. Well, guess what? They don't belong to you. You could think you're being the most godly parent in the world, but you are literally keeping them from what God, they're not your kids. They're his. And you'll find that out at 27 when they don't listen to you. I guess they're not mine. I, I didn't know. Remember, parents, we're raising them to be adults, but not just adults, to be God-loving adults. They need to know that they're gods. They need to take risks. Here's the second that Satan is attempting to stop the worship of God. So first, he's trying to get, get us to worship man, and then he's trying to get us to stop worshiping God. And he does this so subtly by bringing other things in. Because how many know that you're in awe? Like, we were created to go, wow, oh, man, Ooh, that's incredible. Do you know the Psalms is David's, David's wow, and he wrote it down? You know why so many Christians are bored with church? I mean, literally. It's why we don't talk about God all that much at our dinner tables. It's why, because we're bored with God. And you're in this room. You know you're bored with God. You're bored because it's like, I don't see anything God's doing. I believe in him, whatever. I'm just bored. Like, we'll see a catch from a receiver, and it goes up. You know what I'm talking about? The one where a defender catches it and the one steals it away and puts it in his hand and we say that's the greatest catch ever. And we will talk about it for months. Wow! Oh man, did you see that? Because we were created to be in awe. We were created beings that are in awe of things. When was the last time we said, do you, did you see what God did? It was, man, you gotta see this. Let me tell you what happened. When was the last time we went and said, like, God, like this person was dying, and then God came in, and he went, pow, 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 and then the person got up, and, woo, and it was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was so cool. Seriously, when was the last time we've ever been in awe of what God did? Do you think God's awesome? then why aren't we in awe of him to the point where there isn't anything the NFL can do that can compare to the goodness of God? Why is it we are so caught up and infatuated with athletes and celebrities and God who can speak one word can change the life and we never talk about it? I mean, there was a day on a Sunday morning, and this is amazing, on a Sunday morning, I, I, I get up in the middle of a service. I'm not even supposed to leave. Like, I'm in the, I'm in the service, and I, and I just feel this intense thing that I'm supposed to go to the hospital in an emergency room to, to see this, this young lady who, who was in the emergency room. So I get up on a Sunday morning, just get up. He's preaching, and I walk out the door, and I go to the hospital, and I get to the hospital, and I'm going to see this girl, and there's this other couple there that I know, and they said, these people are, this, this guy that, that I barely know is in the emergency room. He's dying. His heart is 5% alive. He's going to be dead in the next 15 minutes. And, and I tell them, I said, hey, tell the people I actually came to see that, that I prayed for them. I'm going to go in here. And I go in there, and there's a family. His whole family is sitting in the room. This is, this is a guy I barely know, and he's 5% he's alive. And, 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 and the family comes in, and I said, hey, guys, I, I'm here to see someone else, but I really feel like I'm supposed to be. And I walk in the room, and I pray for the guy. And, and, and the guy lived 12 more years. 
But, but what's incredible about the whole thing is as I'm walking out of the room, he hadn't lived. He's still dying on the deathbed. As I'm walking out of the room, I, I talk with the family and, and the family members that are all sitting there right there, that two of them get up and say, we need Jesus in our life. And the entire family says, we need to come back to God. Two of them said, I need to invite. And they all get saved. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> and he lived 12 more years. <laughs> you got to hear it again. You want to see it again? How many times do we do that? You want to see the catch again? You want to see, you can't get, it can't get enough of it. You want to see it again? You want to see it again? What, at what point do we stop and realize we have replaced the glory of God with the glory of man? At what point do we fall in love with God? Where we begin to see the awe of who he is and what he's doing in the world around us. Who's paying attention? He that has eyes, let them see. He that has ears, let them hear of the glory and the goodness of God because miracles are taking place all around us. We're just not talking about them because we're too captivated by things that are passing away. We're worshiping the golden statue and we've fallen trapped to this whole thing. You know, Daniel, in Daniel 6, it says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to the upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed and giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asked God for help. So they went to the king, spoke to him about his royal decrees. Did you publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except you, O king, would be thrown in the lion's den? The king answered, yeah, I did. And in accordance to that, they took Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. And King Darius stayed up all night long while I'm sure the advisors were having a party. We'd gotten rid of David or Daniel. We'd thrown him into a pit. He's done away with. We accomplished what we're doing. And Darius is staying up like, dear God, if you exist, if you're alive, save Daniel, save Daniel. Next morning, he gets up early and he goes, Daniel! Yes, king! Are you okay? Yeah! What happened? I've just been down here petting the kitties. <laughs> That's good, Daniel. Come over. And he pulls him out. He goes and finds every one of those advisors and he throws them in for breakfast. See, the reality is not a matter of whether or not God saves you from the lion den. It's not a matter of whether or not you get saved from the fiery furnace. It's a matter of how you see him. Because neither one were moved by fear in the culture. The culture could not get them to change what they knew was true. They stood firm in who they were and who God was. Said, I am a child of God, so whether I die or not, how many want to go to heaven? Right? How many want to go right now? It's usually people who are going through a struggle or are old. It's the truth, right? Because there are people, if you're going through hell on earth, you're like, I could use heaven right now. Or if you're older, you're like, I don't want to die, so I'd like to go to heaven right now right? The, the, the reality is, is the reason we wouldn't, let's just be honest. I'm not trying to, this is not meant to be, the reason we struggle to say, I want to go to heaven right now is because we don't necessarily believe it's better than what we have right now. 
it's better. And I'm not saying we act suicidal and we look for ways to die. Tell me where to go so I can die. That's not what I'm saying because that may not be God's plan for your life. What I'm saying is not be afraid of what God's plan is for your life and to be in awe of what God does. And when someone shares a story about what God does, we go, whoa, tell it again. Tell it again. Tell it again. Find someone who's never heard about it and tell it again. Because that's what we do for a great catch. The Bible says, the great command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. With your heart and soul, your affection, what do you love the most? With your mind, your attention, what are you thinking about the most? With your abilities, your strength, what am I building with my life? What is it that I'm building with my life? When, when, I'm di- when I'm dead and gone, when I'm dying on my deathbed, and I look back, I can say, what I built, what I took my life to build will last for eternity. Or it will end when I end. Stop and think about it. Would you stand? I don't know if Tracy had talked to you, but better than life. Here, here's, here's what I want to do. I'm going to end, but I want you to think about this. Just think about your own life. One, would you die for it? Not, not what you want to say or what, no one's asking you. You're not going to have to fill it out and put your name on it so we know this person would die for it, this one wouldn't, you know. We're not going to do a class how to get to the point of dying for the gospel. We're, we're not doing that. Do you know how you get there? You experience God in such a way that your love for him is so incredible that you would die. Don't they write love songs about men who would die for their wives? I would die for her, walk 100 miles for her. Most of them don't. Right? What would I do for God? What, what, what... What is it about my experience with God that would cause me to lay it all on the line for Him? And what lie am I believing that's keeping me from doing it? Does that make sense? Take that for a moment. Father, right now I pray in the name of Jesus. Lord, only you can do this right now. Only you can bring us to that place of truth. Lord, I pray I've, I've done my best of sharing the word, but Lord, right now I pray that word is translated to the soul of every person in here and that you would speak clearly to them right now in, in the way they need to hear it. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name.